The following podcast may contain adult language and conversations revolving around situations not suitable for immature audiences. Spoilers and general political incorrectness can often be expected, so listener discretion is advised. They must be destroyed on sight! following episode of They Must Be Destroyed on Sight is dedicated to the memory of the life and career of Sir Christopher Lee. In this episode, there will be two separate informal chats with my co-hosts Daniel and Paul covering trivia, our general thoughts on Christopher Lee and his legacy in popular culture and cinema especially. Intercut will be sound bites and interview segments culled from various sources on YouTube, mostly surrounding his iconic character Dracula in the Hammer Dracula films. Rest in peace, Sir Christopher. Welcome to the Must Be Destroyed on Sight. This is it's not as happy an episode as usual, but I guess it, in, in a way it is. It's a, it's a celebration of an actor I deeply, deeply love uh, who just passed away, Sir Christopher Lee, uh, 93 years old. So you can't really complain. I mean, the guy had a full, full life, 1922 to 2015. Great, great actor. And this is going to be sort of a little bit of a tribute show to him. Just give our thoughts on what we think of him and what his contribution to film was. Maybe throw a little bit of trivia in there, you know. Uh, Maybe talk about films of his that we really loved, performances that he did that we really loved. Anything you want to start off with, Daniel? Sure. I mean, I know you're going to bring Paul into this and record later. I would love to. I would love to have Paul here so we could all kind of talk about it together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, sometimes recording doesn't let that happen. But for me, I think that you know, I mostly know Christopher Lee from the later period of his career. Uh, for me, he is you know the the iconic role for for me for him is, is Saruman in the, in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, where he is so, I mean, just mesmerizing. I mean, even at that point, he was in his early yeah. 80s. Uh, when those were, I think, 80 years old when those were being filmed. He is just really sells that. I, I, I remember, for me, my, my kind of the moment I think of when I think of Christopher Lee, and this is this may sound really silly to you, is the, uh, the moment where Ian McKellen as Gandalf kind of uh, runs into him and, uh, you know, I forget the details of Middle Earth, and I apologize, but like, <laughs> for that first scene that they have together, and they do this very brutal uh, fight sequence where they're basically uh, using magic and they're, uh, you know, yeah. throwing each other against walls and that sort of thing. And for me, that that kind of, you know, Lee brings a, a sort of, a real grit to this, you know? He brings, a, you know, uh, one of the things about magic in that universe, or in, in Jackson's version of that universe, is that it is, you know, it, it is kind of brutal and horrible and very physical, and I think, you know, he doesn't go for the big light show effects and that sort of thing. And uh, I think he is uh, so effective just in that very short sequence. It's showing just how powerful, you know, because we, we kind of think of yeah. Gandalf in that moment as being like this kind of 
very powerful figure and he's literally thrown around like a like a ragdoll by the forces of evil and i think that it, some of that comes down to the filmmaking and the performance or in the, the effects but i think so much of it is just christopher lee's performance and he's just mm-hmm. so evil but in that very understated way in a lot of uh in a lot of senses i uh, that for me that that's kind of the moment that i always think of when i think of christopher lee is is uh is saruman honestly of course he's also count dooku um and he gets to have the uh <laughs> The, the fight scene with Yoda, um, yeah. which, you know, but, but really for me, I'm always looking at Yoda in that scene. That's where I'm, you know, that's where my, scene is. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. He is, uh, he is like Ian McKellen in, in some way, you know, he was uh, this very erudite, very um, knowledgeable. I think he spoke like six languages or something like that, mm-hmm. had a very long career and did a lot of, uh, a lot of great performances in kind of crappy movies, you know? Yeah. But uh, late in his career, really kind of was embraced by the kind of, uh, by geek properties, by mm-hmm. Saruman. I mean, uh, Lee was both Saruman and, and Count Dooku, and he was in both of these giant franchises very, very late in his career. Yeah. Which I think speaks to his, I mean, just how respected, yeah, how good he was, and uh, was still acting up to the. I mean, literally, I mean, I think the last weeks of his life, he was still. Um, yeah, doing he just own. he he had just signed on for something else, some other project before he died. So yeah, which is uh, uh, the the other kind of big thing that I think of when I think of Christopher Lee um, is uh, the Billy Wilder film from the uh, early seventies, the the Private Life of Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one where he he also played Sherlock Holmes in some other films, but he played Mycroft Holmes. Yes, uh, Sherlock's older brother, and uh, I think that's an underseen film, and I think Lee is is kind of pivotal to that uh, to that film uh, because he he ultimately drives most of the plot. Yeah, <laughs> to be quite honest with you, um, have you seen that film? I have seen that film. Yeah, I don't own the DVD, but I have the you know I got the DVD yeah. through rental. I'm I'm a I'm a big fucking Holmes freak. Like I watch everything Sherlock Holmes pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I went through a Billy Wilder kick for a while, so I was watching. I mean, I watched it as a as a Billy Wilder thing as much as anything. Uh, I have not seen uh, Lee play Sherlock Holmes. Uh, I mean, would you like to speak to that? Or uh, uh, he he did he he looks like Sherlock Holmes. Like he looks like Sherlock Holmes, like right out of the pages. If you read the stories, um, he did a great job. But the same thing you could say about Peter Cushing and. Personally, Peter Cushing is sort of my favorite big screen Sherlock Holmes. And if you want to go for my favorite overall, uh, it's uh, what's his face who did um, the TV version that you see on PBS all the time and stuff. Uh, fuck, I can't think of his name right now. I should know it. I'm actually kind of kicking myself right now that I don't remember it. But, but well, in the yeah. last episode, I admitted I'd never seen The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, so I think we'll forgive you. Yeah, okay. But, uh, yeah, uh, Christopher Lee did Sherlock Holmes a couple times. He did, I think he did a couple times on the big screen. He did at least one on a TV movie. He also was in the Hammer adaptation of Hounds of the Baskervilles as, um, I guess, Henry Baskerville, which was uh, sort of a atypical performance for him. And he's also, of course, he played Mycroft and he's played Sherlock Holmes. Uh, the Hound of the Baskervilles one, he was opposite Peter Cushing as uh, Sherlock Holmes in that one. Yeah, he, he he did a lot of Holmes stuff. I think you bring up a good point. Like you say, uh, for you, it's more Suriman that you identify him with. He had such a long career that different generations are basically going to know him for different roles. Absolutely. He, he's more iconic to them in a certain role. His, his career resurgence sort of came through his collaborations with Tim Burton. Like he did five different Tim Burton projects, I believe. I think starting with Sleepy Hollow, I think was the first yeah, one. Yeah, he was in Sleepy Hollow. 
Yeah. And that sort of brought him back. And Sleepy Hollow was a sort of a love letter to Hammer Films. And, you know, his career it sort of went down a little bit, or sort of slowed down a little bit through the 80s and some of the 90s. Um, he wasn't doing quite as uh, much stuff. But yeah, uh, very noted for playing villains. Like you said, this is Suriman, really, really good. He, it was just, it was just something that seemed to come natural from him to to play to play the bad guy. His his most iconic role is still Count Dracula, and for me, he is my Dracula. He, like he's the one when whenever I think of Dracula, I look to him. Like he is my Count Dracula. But he he didn't just do that. Like he, um, I'll just go through here, like. When he started, he wasn't really known for horror. It wasn't until about 1957 uh, when he did The Curse of Frankenstein, where he played Frankenstein's monster uh, for Hammer Films, that he really started doing a lot of horror films. He did, for me, one of the best interpretations of the Frankenstein monster, uh, a very physical role. Didn't He didn't have any lines. It was just grunts and growls. But even then, you could see just the quality of his acting, like a very great physical actor, um, I'd say the same thing about uh, Peter Cushing as well. They both had that sort of quality to them. Uh, uh, you, you just look at his physical acting in The Curse of Frankenstein. Then you look in uh, a film later on, The Mummy, in 1959 from Hammer Films. There are some scenes in that where he's basically just acting with his eyes. And he does so much in those films, just acting with his eyes, uh, that is so effective. It's just it's just really amazing. I... I he comes from that background of the Shakespearean trained British mm-hmm. actor like that old school, you know, they say once you, they say once you can play Shakespeare, you can play anything. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a, a key point in sort of that, that classical training. I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, modern actors do, don't have that training or, you know, it's a different kind of training that actors yeah. get today. But I think that, you know, that ability, that, that versatility to either be this kind of monstrous, like kind of hulking figure. I mean, Christopher Lee was in life, I think he was like 6'2 or 6'3 or something. I mean, he was... 6'5". Six 6'5", five. Six five. okay. Yeah. So, you know, even taller than that. No, he was he was a very physically imposing figure in real life and uh, had a... Uh, if you if you read uh, a lot of the uh, articles that have been posted lately, have been uh, kind of talking about his his history in World War Two. Mm-hmm. He was also a uh, I mean in real life he was a a war hero. Yeah, uh, working working for um, Secret Service wasn't Secret it? Secret Service. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean and and I mean basically a, a real life inglorious bastards kind of figure. I mean, yeah. you, I don't know how much of that is still classified, honestly, but um, if if uh, if half of what you hear is true, I mean this 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 group was definitely a, a very group of fucking badasses. To, mm. Not to not to put too fine a point on it, but I mean you look at you look at that training and you look at the that that Shakespearean cadence, and you see I mean and he did play Shakespeare. I'm looking through his his list of uh, roles here, and I mean he did some Shakespeare in his time. He did Hamlet and um, stuff, and uh, he he definitely brought that to even the the, the smallest film, even the, mm-hmm. the, the you know one of the things and and. Uh, I'm I'm kind of astonished that he never did any Doctor Who. It's it's sort of one of those yeah. things you would think that at some point in the you know 26 year history of that of that British TV show that he would have been in it at some point because like every British actor was in it at some point. Um, I mean, yeah. you know, for, for Christopher Lee, you know, he I has, mean, uh, yeah, even even Peter Cushing did the uh, Amicus film adaptations right, of Doctor the, Who, the two, the two uh, Doctor Who and the Daleks, and you know, yeah. uh, you know, um, Invasion Earth. Yeah, Invasion 2150, that's what it's called. Mm. No, I mean, and so it is kind of one of those, like, you know, just kind of looking at it. But I guess he moved in different circles. I guess he was doing kind of the, I mean, I guess if he's already doing the Hammer Horror films, he doesn't need to do the 
uh, the the kind of rip off versions that Doctor Who was doing in the early seventies. You know. Yeah. Well, um, he was so. he was very um, he was very picky in a, in a way for his for his roles. I mean, so if if he if he read a script and he thought it was trash, he, he wasn't going to do it. Um, not that I'm saying like he was reading Doctor Who scripts and thinking they were trash. Oh no, but... no, not at all. You also don't see a lot of TV on his uh, resume. No. At least not. I mean, you do. I guess I'm looking at the list now, but certainly mm-hmm. in that kind of period that I think he would have been. You know, he doesn't do a lot of TV in in the like kind of mid '60s to early '70s. Yeah. So that maybe you know that would kind of been when he really would have fit into the program really well. So I guess that might have been. I mean, he just wasn't doing TV during that period. Mm-hmm. That would make sense if he was if he was doing big screen roles. I mean, certainly and. In the 70s, I mean, up until the 90s, to be quite honest with you, yeah. until very recently, you know, you really, there really was this kind of different pecking order. You were either doing TV or you were doing movies. And if you had this kind of big stream career, you know, going and doing TV was kind of, well, that's that's trash. You, know, you don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, you're a TV actor. That's that's a much less uh, prestigious uh, place to be. So mm-hmm. um, it does sort of it does sort of make sense from a sociological point of view. It's just sort of one of those uh, kind of amazing things where it's like, well, surely he did a Doctor Who. No, he didn't. He didn't. Yeah. You know? yeah, it was kind of weird that he had he never did that. Um, we'll just go through a couple uh, facts here about him. Um, I mean, he he was born into sort of semi royalty almost. His mother was an Italian contessa, apparently descended from. Emperor Charlemagne in the whole Holy Roman Empire, so uh, it's kind of interesting. Well, who is it really? <laughs> he actually met the uh, the assassins of the Russian monk uh, Rasputin, and he actually played him very effectively in an adaptation of uh, Rasputin, the Mad Monk, in 1966. The woman was sick. I healed her. Healed her? How? With potions? With these. Was your wife possessed of the devil? Did he exorcise her, pray over her? No, I touched her with these. It's true, Father. God would never bless someone so steeped in sin with such a gift. It must come from the devil. Who knows? I only know I have this power. I have always had it. I can feel it burning within me, driving me on. It is here inside me. It is in my hands. And I warn you, I warn you all, that I, Grigory Efimovich Rasputin, intend to use it. The power is mine, and I shall use it as I please. which is actually one of his best roles, I think. He, he was a uh, step-cousin to Ian Fleming, creator of James Bond, and Ian Fleming actually sort of envisioned Christopher Lee as the guy he'd want to play Bond in the films, but it, you know, it never ended up happening. He ended up playing uh, Scaramanga. But very good, because it, he was essentially the, uh, basically the other side of the coin to James Bond, where James Bond was this highly skilled professional patriot Scaramanga was a uh, mercenary, but every much the equal to Bond in, in, in many ways. So it was kind of a nice dynamic in that film. What do they teach in that school? Ballet dancing? I find nothing remotely amusing about Mr. Bond's escape. 
You underestimated him. Even my influence doesn't extend into the British Secret Service. I shall lie low too. I don't intend to jeopardize a project in which I've invested half my fortune when it's ready to yield billions. And where will you hide out? That does not concern you. Take this. Return it to the plant and don't leave there without my permission. May I remind you that you work for me. I took you on as a junior partner to be an occasional convenience, nothing more. I did not hire you to interfere in my affairs. Is that clearly understood? Oh, yes, very clearly. I now regret having even considered employing your services, but that is beside the point. Vaughn doesn't know you're in Bangkok. He's never seen you, but he knows me. That's the problem. There's no problem. Resigned. I'm the new chairman of the board. He always did like that mausoleum. Put him in it. One thing I would uh, mention, just looking through the list of uh, titles, mm -hmm. uh, he was in uh, 1941, the Steven Spielberg mm -hmm. uh, comedy, which almost ruined Spielberg's career. Uh, I don't remember him in that, but I haven't seen that film in about 20 years. No, I can't remember him in any either. Since we're doing uh, the um, sex comedy series, I would like to mention he is in one. He is in. He did do an actual sex comedy uh, in 1987. He did a movie called Jocks, uh, which yes. I, I almost uh, I, I'm almost tempted to say we should include that in our series as a tribute to the the late Christopher Lee. We we could we could mention that I do have Jocks on DVD here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, I was I was looking through the list and going, wait a minute, he's in that really? That's awesome. <laughs> uh, he was also in Gremlins 2, The New Batch. Uh, yes, and he was really he, good in that, too. He was really good in that. I think a lot of people, I, you know, at least in my kind of, kind of Twitter feed, Facebook feed, um, people remember him as uh, Death in the Discworld movie from 1996. No, I've never seen that one. Yeah, I haven't either. It's a kind of a, a British um, production. Mm. Um, it's, uh, you know, the Terry Pratchett series. Yeah, so, yeah. Death is a, if you've read any of those books, or even if you haven't, but you have familiarity with the fans, the, the Death character is a very uh, pivotal one in those in that series. And uh, I think I saw some people kind of joking that the horror, horrifying Death character from Discworld would come for Christopher Lee, but then be scared away from Christopher Lee's actual like self. Like, would be too scared <laughs> to actually uh, harvest him, which I think is, uh, is funny. He's also in the Golden Compass. I don't know. It's just there's so much stuff I'm looking through his list. Mm. Uh, you know, it's it's again one of those we've talked about it before. One of those working actors who is in a little bit of everything and uh, was just such a part of cinema for so long. I mean, its earliest film was what 1948. Yeah, something um, like that. Yeah. So I mean, you're literally talking about. I mean, almost. Well, God. I mean, you're talking about a 60 year career. Yeah. Uh, and you're talking about someone who was who was a, a working actor who, who was in films for that long, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's almost hard to imagine that you could sum it up in one role or even just a few roles, you know? Yeah. No, I, I, I also remember, again, going back to the Lord of the Rings thing, that uh, 
in some of the documentary features, you know, Peter Jackson would talk about how uh, Christopher Lee knew the Lord of the Rings books so well that he became a kind of de facto fact checker on set or kind of, you know, that, that he was the guy who they would go to and, and is this right? Is this the way this should be? You know, um, <laughs> oh, from what I hear, he's actually kind of critical uh, to some, some ways that he was depicted, like in some of the, like the cut scenes and stuff in some of those films, like, uh, like I think of revolving around his death uh, that yeah. they filmed in the film where uh, it was almost, I think it was a tribute to his role in Dracula where he, he falls off his tower and gets stabbed right through the heart or whatever on like some spike or something down in the, in the ground. Yeah, no, um, that is kind of the, that's about the point in the, the films where they make kind of the most radical departures from the structure of the book. So, um, and they, and, uh, Apparently, uh, Christopher Lee was was said to have read the Lord of the Rings trilogy once a year, every year from mm-hmm. the year they were published. Like he was that big of a Lord of the Rings fan, um, that he would re- that he reread them every year for you know sixty years or something like that, which yeah. is uh, kind of amazing. Uh, some interesting little trivia things on him. Um, essentially, uh, you hear about like Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Apparently, Christopher Lee was actually recognized as being the most connected actor in the world in 2008 by uh, Guinness Book of World Records. Uh, he says he connects to virtually any actor in about 2.59 steps beating Bacon. Yeah, in fact, I think I remember that uh, analysis, and, and Kevin Bacon is actually not even that. Like, he's he's kind of middle of the road as far as that goes. Like, uh, Kevin Bacon's kind of the thing that it's named after, but he's actually not all that well-connected. Yeah, he's 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 the pop culture connection is is what he is. Yeah, he actually turned down uh, Donald Pleasance's uh, role of Sam Loomis in Halloween, and apparently that's something he regretted quite a bit. I mean, it's hard to imagine Halloween being any more iconic of a picture. It's, yeah, it's weird. I don't know if I could. I don't know if I'd buy him in the role compared to Donald Pleasance's uh, portrayal because Donald Pleasant plays Sam Loomis as this like really desperate obsessive almost bordering on insane character i don't know if uh i mean as as much range as uh, lee has i don't know if i'd necessarily buy him as much he, he just he doesn't have that air of him when you look at him like he's not this frumpy stocky guy in a trench coat he'd be much more authoritarian and uh i guess respectable even like you know i, don't, I, I mean don't know if... it definitely would have changed that film i mean mm. dramatically i mean and that is one of those where you realize what a big change casting could make yeah you know, imagine christopher lee in that you know it, the whole film would have to change around him like he would he would kind of walk in he'd be in the coat but he'd be this kind of imposing all uh foreshadowing and uh you know the kind of gravelly voice and this very uh uh setting up some of the horror that you're going to have as opposed to uh pleasance who plays it in a much more you know frantic uh obsessive way anyway that's just repeating what you just said so you know. <laughs> I didn't want to terrify people, although I think I probably did. I've never set out in a film, any film, to terrify people, genuinely terrify them. You have to make it believable, but it doesn't have to be reality. You have to be truthful in your performance, but the character doesn't have to be. You're looking at a fairy story. It can't happen. Of course, nobody believed that. You see, that such was the power, and still is, the power of the screen. If you, if you have any sort of final thoughts you want to you want to put in there, Daniel, and uh... I think whenever someone like this 
dies, I think there is this uh, impulse to uh, lionize them and to uh, to to uh, kind of forget the bad stuff and only remember. Uh, the problem with Christopher Lee is that it's almost it's hard to find the bad stuff. Mm-hmm. Really. You know, there are maybe some bad films. I'm I'm sure you know in a list. In a, in Although a very long, honestly, honestly, but, very few for him, but not many, but not many, and that's and that's a mark of of him of his performance, but also you know his ability to choose roles. It's hard to imagine a, a an actor who is more iconic for so long than Christopher Lee, and who worked so late in his life. I mean, and, and then had the career resurgence in in his eighties. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. um, as as this, you know, frankly, is sort of an action hero. You know, yeah. uh, with Saruman and Dooku. I mean, those are those are not uh, you know kind of old man sitting in a wheelchair kind of roles. Those are very you know kind of active roles. I guess my uh, kind of my thought I was thinking about it is uh, when you were talking is you know, you think about somebody who was maybe six or seven years old when they saw, you know, episode one or episode two and, you know, fell in love with Dooku in those movies who will themselves live to be 80 or 90 years old. And then you stretch that back all the way back to Christopher Lee's earliest performances in the, in the forties. And you've literally got a, a line of, of kind of memories of an actor that, that stretch almost, you know, 120 years, 130 years, which is, yeah. you know, people will be talking about Christopher Lee for centuries. I mean, I think that that's, that's a fair, you know, as, as long as film is a medium that people study, I think that people will, will talk about Christopher Lee to some degree or another. I think for me, the big thing is I need to sit down and watch some of these, some of these hammer horror films that I haven't seen. So, you know, and if that's, and if that's the legacy that Christopher Lee's death has for me, then I think that's a good legacy. Yeah, basically the last of his generation as far as uh, iconic sort of not just actors but you know horror actors go. He's basically it's it's it like uh, Peter Cushing's dead, Vincent Price is dead, Donald Pleasance is dead. He he's the last of that really. I guess um, I guess you call it like the Silver Age of classic Hollywood horror. He's yeah. basically the last one and he's gone. So it's something notable and something people should uh, remember. Uh, thanks very much, uh, Daniel, for uh, joining me with this one. And um, you want to plug your podcast and uh, anything else that's going on with you? <laughs> I think I did already kind of plug it. But uh, yeah, the uh, my wife and I do a Doctor Who podcast. So if you do want to listen to us talk about um, some of the, the ripoffs of, uh, you know, Christopher Lee's uh, films, uh, the, the kind of horror films. Uh, we have done a little bit of that, uh, especially when we're talking about the Pertwee years. But uh, if you are a Doctor Who fan and you're not listening to my podcast, my other podcast I do with my wife, and uh, you're a fan of Doctor Who and you actually like me on this podcast, which I think many of our fans may not like me so much on this podcast, but <laughs> but if you are a fan of me, you should check me out at uh, oispaceman.lipson.com. That's oispaceman.lipson.com. And you should like Daniel because it's really fuzzable. He's real fuzzable. I'm drunk now. Fuckable. He's fuzzy. Fuckable is what you're trying to say. No, I was going to say fuzzy and likable. Probably fuckable as well. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> One day you'll find out. One yeah. day. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks very much for listening. And uh, switch over to Paul here. All right. And you can have a real conversation about Christopher Lee instead of my ramblings. So awesome. Good for the listeners. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> In 
these two short interview segments, Christopher Lee talks about the tribute that he paid to Bela Lugosi, as well as the difficulties revolving around making the Dracula films, how he felt that they compared to the source material, and his overall thoughts on why he did so many sequels when he often detested the material that was given him to work with. This ring is a copy of a similar ring worn by a Central European actor. His name was Bela Lugosi. Now, that, that's the correct way of pronouncing it. But that was probably a little bit too much for people to take. And so he became immortalized under the name of Bela Lugosi. He made his name, as indeed did I, in the playing of a certain rather strange Transylvanian nobleman might interest you to know that Transylvania still exists, and I've been there. And the name of that nobleman, of course, immortalized in one book and known throughout the world now, was quite simply the word Dracula. I wore this ring. I can't remember how many pictures I actually wore it in when I played that part, but I certainly did wear it in some as a tribute to Lugosi. So I wore this ring. The picture that we are referring to, that I'm talking about now, in, in a more particular sense, is called Dracula Prince of Darkness, which was the second Dracula picture that I was in. And interestingly enough, there was a gap of something like seven years between the first one and the second one, because I think the first one was made in 1957 or 8, and the second one certainly was made in 1965. People all over the world who've seen that film have asked me why I didn't speak in it. I didn't say a word for the entire film. The answer is very simple. I wrote the script. And the lines were literally unsayable. They were not Bram Stoker. This was a great fight I used to have over the years with Hammer. I kept on saying, why don't you use Stoker's words, Stoker's dialogue, if you like. No, 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 no. So somebody used to write up lines like, I am the apocalypse, and oh, I mean, beyond belief. So I said, I'm sorry, I'm not saying these lines. You know, you get, get a terrific laugh, which I'm quite convinced we would have done. So oh, 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 yeah, and then the guy in the back. On this um, Bram Stoker's birthday, uh, I'd like to ask you about Camp Dracula, uh, because my... Who? My Camp Dracula. <laughs> Camp Dracula. <laughs> well, you've played eight times. <laughs> um, you've been critical over the years of the... I have. ...of, of the... Uh, what has been left out of Stoker's novel in the films. Well, Everything. What I wanted to, <laughs> want to ask you was, when you performed, when you played Dracula uh, for Hammer, what was the quality in Stoker's character that you most wished to convey? What did I want to put into the character, do you mean? Well, the first thing was that I wanted to play Stoker's character. <coughs> I did make a rather indifferent film in Spain called Count Dracula, in which I was Stoker's Dracula. 
an old man, white hair, getting younger. Um, and dressed, I quote the book, entirely in black from head to foot without a single speck of color. That's Stoker. When I did the first one, I read the book, of course, and it wasn't remotely like the book, really. But, of course, the result was amazing because I really wasn't very well known, either by name or face. And, um, well, it became world famous. I, I tried to bring out the aspects of the character that Stoker had written. One thing to me is very important. If you're playing somebody that the audience regards as, let's say, evil or whatever, try to do something they don't expect. Something which surprises the audience. Never do something 100%. I mean, yes, you play the part 100%. But try and put something in somewhere which surprises people. It appears, which was not what I intended, that I became a sort of sexual image. <laughs> well, those days are long gone, I can assure you. <laughs> but uh, everybody commented on that, and oddly enough, it was not my intention. I simply did what was in the script. Instinct, I suppose, as much as anything else. That was in 57, I think, it was made. Then they did another one after eight years, Prince of Darkness, which I didn't say a word because I'd read the script and I refused to say any of the lines. <laughs> That's not a secret. It's in my book, which you can still get. <laughs> Lord of Misrule and uh, it's the second version of the book and I didn't say anything didn't seem to make much difference really then the trouble started this is also in my book so I'm not saying this for the first time I got another script from my agent third one and I read it and I said, I'm not going to do this. He said, why not? I said, it's terrible. I mean, it, the, the dialogue is not good. The character isn't Stoker's character at all. I'm just standing there in a corner and occasionally doing something, you know, for someone, but not much more. I said, I don't want to do it. And my agent was absolutely horrified because Peter Cushing was also with him. And if I'd refused... That would have been the end of that. This happened with the third film and the fourth film and the fifth film. I turned them all down. I said no. And I got hysterical telephone calls from Hammer saying, what's this I hear about you saying you won't do this? It's happened three times, three films. I said, no, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I don't have to. I don't want to. You've got to. You've got to. You have to. You must. And I said, 
Why? <laughs> they said, because we've already sold it to the Americans with you in the part. <laughs> which annoyed me a bit. And then, which I'll never forget, think of the people you put out of work if you don't do it. <laughs> well, that's a dreadful thing to say to somebody. So I, I can truthfully say the only reason I made three, four, and five, or whatever it was, was because all the crew were my friends. It was like a family. It really was. And I wasn't going to put them out of work. I couldn't. So that's a story a lot of people don't know, but I can assure you it's the truth. talk about Christopher Lee. I'm glad I had Paul in here so we can uh, talk a little bit more, um, I guess, in detail about Christopher Lee's horror film to some degree. And um, I think when we started, I'll just uh, ask you, Paul, uh, what what's your uh, general opinion of Christopher Lee, and uh, what what do you uh, basically what do you what do you think of him overall as far as his contribution to uh, film and horror film in general? Well, Christopher Lee to me is, is just utter class. Everything he's in. He actually, he had a quote that kind of sums up my thought about him. He goes, he said, from time to time, you'll make bad films. The trick is not being bad in them. 
And that's basically what I think about Christopher Lee. He always he always comes in, even in the shittiest films he's been in, has given it 110% every time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the majority of films that he's in, I like. I know sometimes, obviously, you can't please everybody, but yeah. I really like the films that he's been in. There's some films that... He's got so many films that you can't... It's like Vincent Price. It's hard to... I mean, John Carradine, Vincent Price... I mean, if you if you look at the, the four classics, Peter Cushing's, Christopher Lee, Vincent Price, David, John Carradine, if you go through those, you're going to have a lifetime worth of movies to watch. Yeah. Just for, with those four guys it's it's amazing so but from what i've watched he really comes in takes he really steals a role too the thing that i like about him is he's he's a consummate professional but he doesn't step on everybody when he comes in yeah i never felt he his presence overshadowed the movie if you know what i mean yeah yeah and um you look at him and you look at like uh peter cushing and his contemporaries i i honestly think for christopher lee like I don't think he's done a lot of like really bad movies, honestly. Like I could say for Peter Cushing, he's been in like several like really bad movies in his mm-hmm. career. Like I'm not saying he did bad performances or anything like that, but for Christopher Lee, he seemed like he uh, was a bit more selective in what he chose to act in, and it felt like like a lot of his stuff was just slightly a little bit more above. Uh, a lot of guys, as, as far as his contemporaries go. Well, as far as the sh- like shit flicks stuff like that, I mean, John Carradine pretty much took care of all the shit flicks. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> well, John Carradine. I mean, I love I love John Carradine, but I mean, he he really did pick a lot of really bad Astro films. Yeah, there. And he was so good in that one. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the thing. Like these guys are good in anything they pretty much pick. But Christopher Lee picked really good roles and generally really good films for the most part. Like my wife, can... my wife's worst Christopher Lee film, in her opinion, is *A Howling* too. Oh, really? And I do enjoy that film quite a bit, and she can't stand it. <laughs> well, I, I actually really love that film. Like, I, I, uh, I, and it has its own little vibe to it. And I don't ever try to compare it to the first one. Oh uh, yeah, no, Christopher no. Lee being epic. And it's got Sybil Danning's tits left and right. <laughs> and it's got, yeah. then it's got Babel singing a beautiful fucking '80s song, mm. and and I just like it. it. No matter how cheesy and stupid it is, it, it gets better and better. No, it really works. I mean, you just see you see Christopher Lee's a fucking werewolf hunter. He's wearing those goddamn fucking funky '80s glasses. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the only classic monster he never played. He never played a werewolf. He played Dracula. He played Frankenstein's monster. He played the mummy. Uh, well, I guess also uh, the only Gilman. one. The only one that has the credit, I think, of playing all the monsters is uh, Lon Chaney Jr. Yeah, he he never played um, the Gill Man or the werewolf, but right. but still, um, for me personally. He's my favorite Frankenstein's monster. Uh, I, I when I when I saw the Hammer version of Is it the uh, Curse of Frankenstein, Curse of Frankenstein, yeah, yeah, I, I love that man. Like, yeah, he was so more believable to me than any other Frankenstein's monsters I ever seen. Like, he he just he felt like a reanimated corpse. He had no lines in that film. He, it no. was all grunts and groans and shit. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it and, was all it was all method acting through silence, and uh, yeah. it, it was it wasn't over the top though. If you if no. you look now, obviously Boris Karloff's Frankenstein is amazing. Mm-hmm. The monster from Frankenstein is amazing, but they didn't try to they 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 took it as a literary license and made their own. They didn't try to just make another Boris Karloff monster. Yeah, I like that, and yeah. they didn't go overboard. As you see, like three or four years later, when they when when uh, Frankenstein and the Monster of Hell came out, he <laughs> overblown yeah. Frankenstein's monster. But but he 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 had a really interesting kind of acting, and there's a lot of physical stuff in in the films too that I don't think he he shied away from. I think he, I mean, those guys were pretty much yeah, let's do it kind of yeah kind of yeah. And I mean, he took that uh, sort of uh, physical method acting. I mean, he d- he did Frankenstein's monster, and then later on, he did the Mummy. His version of the Mummy, I think it's the best version for me personally. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the acting he does of his eyes, it is really fucking good. Like he he projects uh, sort of a profound sadness in his character that. I did not see in any other interpretation of the mummy, whether it's classic the, or uh, modern. The um, the Christopher Lee uh, make of the mummy is a little bit a uh, little bit more meat in it, and it goes a little bit faster than the mm-hmm. original mummy too. So that's you right. Can, yeah. You can stay a little bit more attached to it longer without yeah. having to worry about getting uh, bored. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Out of all of them, the mummy's the the strangest and most. Here's the sad thing: is like the mummy has this lineage behind it and the supernatural feel and the curses and all this stuff. But out of all, all the mummy, out of all the creatures, it's the most boring. It's weird. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's true. It's true. Um, it's, a, it's a hard character to make like really pop out on the screen. Mm-hmm. And I, and, and that's the thing about the hammer version with Christopher Lee. When I watched that, I felt like, okay, I really, this is the first time I found the mummy really interesting. Like uh, I seen Boris Karloff do it and shit. It's really good. But when Christopher Lee did it, just the acting that guy does was his fucking eyes. Like, mm-hmm. and because he, he, he doesn't get to say shit. Like he doesn't get to say anything. All his acting is physical and he does it with his fucking eyes. And I'm like, okay, I get his character. I get what he's thinking, what he's feeling. And he projects that very well in the film, and the film overall is really good too. The over the 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 the, the projection of of emotion and the intensity of Christopher Lee's face is his body structures and his eyes. I mean, made him perfect for Dracula. Yeah, has he, he? My wife, except for another thing for my wife, we were just talking about it. Except for Radu, her favorite's Radu subspecies, but you know both of our. One of our tops is is Christopher Lee as far as Dracula go. Well, he's he's my Dracula. I I appreciate his interpretation. I know I know his interpretation from the Hammer films is not a hundred percent in par with the actual Bram Stoker's version, yeah. but I don't give a fuck about that because I really love the way he presented himself in it. Very uh, elemental, very animalistic. Part of that is because as the films progressed. He he did not like the scripts. He did not like the no. lines. Yeah, re- I, I remember like I'm not saying this shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. He he refused to read a lot of the lines in these films. Uh, it was all up to his physical acting to uh, project and present Dracula as a threatening force, and he did it in spades. He was really great at it. Uh, you go to 
uh, Taste the Blood of Dracula, which is actually my favorite film from the Hammer Dracula series. That was a film he was not even supposed to be in. He, he only was brought back into it in the last moment because people were like Hammer and people were saying, we got to bring it back because everyone loves you and they want you in Dracula's role and shit like that. Yeah. So like, okay, I'll do the it. original Dracula's that, that he did was actually uh, that uh, Hammer did was what Kiss Kiss of Dracula or something, Kiss of the Vampire. And that didn't have Christopher Lee in it at all. Mm-hmm. It was more of just a foppish, you know, blonde Englishman, Englishman, you know what I mean? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't have the, the uh, presence that like a horror of Dracula had. Yeah, he I mean his his when he came up, the first thing he said, you know, they have destroyed my minion. Yeah, <laughs> they have destroyed my servant. They will be destroyed. I was like, oh crap, he's mad. <laughs> and and that, that I think that was the best film in the series, um, just because the subtext was uh, the the hypocrisy of uh, Victorian values and morals. Mm-hmm. Um, because you had all these Victorian gentlemen trying to explore Satanism and stuff like that, even yeah, though they the pretend... The side of uh, fetish and things, mm-hmm. even though they're trying to tell everybody, be nice and say your prayers and only be good, and then I'm going to go to the whorehouse. I'll see you later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the original <laughs> script for the film did not have Dracula in it. It just had the uh, guy who played uh, Dracula's sort of disciple... Or, or whatever he was supposed to be have a bigger part in the film. He was supposed to be the bad guy in the film, but um, wasn't it? What is, wasn't his last name Alucard or something like that? They, uh, they had they had some kind of name in there. That they uh, I think Alucard was the guy in um, Dracula AD nineteen seventy two. I think. Yeah, that's my wife's favorite. Yeah, I think he was Johnny Alucard or something. Johnny Alucard. I heard. Yeah. Uh, my wife's favorite. I talked to her about this. It's uh, Dracula, nineteen seventy-two, and then we both love uh, Satanic Rites of Dracula, also known as the Vampire Brides of Dracula. I think. Yeah, and I think those films are unfairly uh, shit upon. Um, oh, and, and we can get these films in the dollar bins. Yeah, and they're epic films. I, I love them. Um, I think they're unfairly crapped upon. The Dracula series for Hammer does not follow really any sort of any sort of activity. Like, yeah, yeah <laughs> it, mean, really, it, it really doesn't. There is a little bit of here, like I think it was like a Prince of Darkness to Scars in that area. You'll mm-hmm. see the one cross where he was stabbed through, and then they move it and do something else, and he comes back. But like, really, that's the only connectivity that it actually actually has. Yeah, um, I think uh, for me it was um, Dracula has risen from his grave, yeah. and that that one directly transferred to Taste of Blood of Dracula because that the one yeah, with yeah. The, with the, the dust because he kept collecting yes. all the dust in the ring. Yes. Yeah, because at that one everything blows away. Mm-hmm. The ring at the end. Yeah, yeah. That one, that one is good. I think the problem is. I don't think a lot of people appreciate what Hammer did. Hammer is probably one of the best film companies back in the day. The 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 music, the atmosphere, everything they did was on a dime. And it was epic. It wasn't cheesy sound effects. The only thing cheesy about a Hammer film was the bats. <laughs> <laughs> that was the cheesiest thing about Hammer film. Oh, shit. What, what, what was that? Was, was that uh, Satanic Rites of Dracula that had that really bad, bad effect in it? I think oh the the, the the best the, the best bad bad effect 
effect was think scars of Dracula, where yes, it had the scars, people, yes, it had the people in the the big room, and then he's this mm-hmm. tornado of bats coming through everywhere and just attacking, and it's just like they're just throwing rubber bats at people, basically. There you go, attack, attack. Yeah, yeah, it was scars of Dracula because that was uh, what the second one in the series. You had horror of Dracula, which was the first one, which is also known just as Dracula. Yeah, and, and Dracula has risen from his grave. Yeah, so I think Scars was the second one, and it did not have Christopher Lee. I don't remember if Peter Cushing was in that one or not. I don't think he was. The, uh, yeah. the one that I know that doesn't have Christopher Lee in it was Kiss of the Vampire. Didn't have Christopher Lee in it. And the uh, I call it the Asian titty film, which is uh, The Legend of yeah. the Seven Golden Vampires. Yeah. The Seven Golden Meet Dracula. And that was a collaboration between Hammer and Shaw Films. And Shaw Films, yeah. And yeah. I do love Shaw Films quite a bit, mm-hmm. too. My that, favorite part is the, you know, it's like Asian tits, Asian tits, Asian tits, Asian tits. <laughs> oh, Fu Manchu automatically becomes Dracula, and he falls <laughs> over and dies. Best part of that was the Asian tits and and, uh, and Peter Cushing. Yeah, and, and that one, like, they tried hard to make a Dracula who looked like Christopher Lee as well. Like, they yeah. really tried hard, but, you know. Uh, yeah, but that was like, it was like an Italian waiter. It was what he looked like to me. <laughs> My my thing about um I think this too that really made the Dracula films the best for me was you had the antagonist and the protagonist Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee mm-hmm. is like beer and meat they just go together perfectly and that's the thing is it's they work so well together that every film even even the Sherlock Holmes films like the Hound of Baskervilles where they're they, they're they're the protagonists they're not the bad guys the whole time but they work so well together you know things like that or or nothing, nothing but the night where basically they're screwed they're actually getting killed they're the bad they're the good guys they're actually getting screwed over um how, uh, I he he plays a perfectly paranoid scared father in the house of drip blood uh where his daughter was a witch and he plays this this role where he feels like the bad guy all the time and it's not that he's stereotyped he's leading people in the wrong direction purposely yeah and that's the thing is because you've seen stuff where he's more like the helpful doctor like uh, the oblong box or something that is just a a weird role that he plays that you think he's he's nothing, and that would be like uh, then the screaming starts or scream and scream again. Mm-hmm. Where he plays the uh, acid bath doctor. I mean, yeah, yeah. And there's a plethora of roles that he plays that it, they're not typecast. I don't think they're typecast. No, uh, P- Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, like they played off uh, each other so well. They were best friends. There was a point where uh, Peter Cushing, uh, his wife died. He did not want to act anymore. And Christopher Lee actually sort of basically got him back into acting. I mean, that was before Star Wars. That was before Peter Cushing uh, really sort of got like that big iconic role and all that stuff. Like his career was pretty much done as far as he was was like more like the amicus days. Yeah, exactly. And they had good roles where they were uh, friends as well. I mean, well, sort of rivals, but friends like Mm -hmm. take a, take a film like horror express Mm -hmm. where uh, they were rivals in science, Mm -hmm. but they, they came together to win the day. A great line in that film. The, The whole movie's about a, uh, body jumping alien who is yeah, yeah. and and motherfucking aliens on this motherfucking train yeah <laughs> pretty much yeah. and and the inspector's like you might be the fucking alien monsters we're British we can't be monsters <laughs> what are you talking about this is ridiculous. <laughs>
The animal that you shot was only the host. And when that animal died, the alien intelligence transferred uh, somehow uh, to another host. It's alive in someone on this train. You're a very good detective. You've discovered everything except who is now the host. And that's our next step. Thought this might come in handy. Oh, good idea. The two of you together, that's fine. But what if one of you is the monster? Monster? They're British, you know. <laughs> and it, it's just it's just so good. Like both of them were so well trained actors. Like they had their their sort of background in Shakespearean acting and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And they could do anything together. Like they just could project anything. They could do anything. They could do any character. They worked really good in the skull, where it was one of the uh, rare Christopher Lee roles where he was a good guy. And that's the thing. Like Christopher Lee could do a good guy. Like he really could. He could do a good guy really well. But he was typecast as sort of a villain. Part of it was the fact that he was he was six five. A lot of his contemporaries were not even where near that fucking tall. And for some reason, people sort of felt that he was. No, they're foreign. more imposing. People sort of felt he was foreign looking. You foreign looking bastard. Yeah, that that was kind of a thing with him. Like he did not get leading roles as a hero or anything like that because he looked more foreign to a lot of people so you saw him get roles like later on as like scaramanga in uh man with the golden gun man with the golden gun yeah and in that one he plays a cuban and old cuban yeah three yeah that's right Uh, (laughs) he he got those sort of villain roles because it was like he's so tall and imposing and Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it just really uh, that was the way his career went. And so, didn't, uh, he also played in uh, like as, as Peter Cushing. Didn't he also play in the the um, Star Wars movies? He was in the later Star Wars movies, the prequels. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in he was Count uh, Dooku in uh, mm-hmm. those ones. Um, those films kind of suck ass, but he was really good. You know? It's it's the same feeling you get for. Uh, the uh, Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit films, like yeah. he's really he's really fucking great in those films. I I, uh, I love the I love the Hobbit films and the, the all the Tolkien films. I love the fact that he was the only person that in the films ever that met him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he and was, he was he, a huge Tolkien fan, mm-hmm. and I like that he was there, especially during. I don't know about the Hobbit so much, but definitely the Lord of the Rings. Going, that's not right. Yeah, he'll yeah, stand he, like, nope, that's wrong. Do that again. You know, that's not right. You rewrite yeah, this. He was uh, he was a valued uh, critic of those films by yeah. Peter Jackson. He like, actually had Jackson. copies of the book signed by Tolkien as well. Actually, sat down and talked to Tolkien. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, I love that. And he plays uh, uh, a perfect character in the movie. Sour in the Sauron, he's he yeah. played it brilliantly. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, he plays a he plays a. Essentially, like, and I was talking to Daniel about this when we were talking about uh, Sormon. Um, I mean, he's he's a character that essentially he's he's more powerful than Gandalf. Like, he is the head yeah, white, so he's yeah, a high level. Yeah, he's the head of that order. Uh, the only reason that he ends up becoming, you know, getting defeated is because he's corrupted. Like, he's mm-hmm. 
he's a good person who is eventually corrupted and loses his way, and that's the only reason he gets defeated or whatever. He dies on a wheel well. Mm. I just bought today, I just bought the Lord of the Rings cartoon soundtrack on vinyl. Oh, really? Yeah, there you go. The the, the original uh, cartoon from, like, the 70s or yeah. whatever? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I bought that on. I like that. Christopher Lee is one of those ones that he can do anything, basically. I mean, yeah. we, I mean, a lot of people don't know he was in the metal music. He he's done a lot of parts for Rhapsody on Fire, and he's been on Broadway. I mean, he's done. I don't know. He's he's operatic singing. He's done Barrett, you know, spoken word. He's done. I don't know what he hasn't done. Honestly. Yeah. No, I mean, the guy was ninety three years old. Um, he left. He left the more of a full life than almost anybody out there. But yeah. at the same time, we all feel like he shouldn't have went, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the guy was working up to to his death. Before he died, he signed on to a new project. I mean, that, that, that was what he was doing. Like, he was just a guy who was always doing something like you you mentioned his metal stuff the, in his later years he was doing that like he was doing metal like i think he did what what two or three metal albums three yeah and i mean they were they were not uh traditionally metal in the way you well, it's, it's heavy, might th- a heavy power metal stuff it's rhapsody from italy and he would yeah. go on tour with them and actually come out and, and read read from escorts and then do spoken word stuff and do baritone behind the things mm-hmm. that's epic yeah, and it was, and I I enjoyed it. Like I've seen some of the videos, and I thought it was fucking cool. I liked yeah. it. I mean, he was he was like doing this like Charlemagne kind of stuff. It did not feel cheap or silly or anything like that. It was like okay, I, I re- actually kind of respect this. this. is really really cool. You get the feeling that uh, he never did anything that he thought was uh, necessarily all that much beneath him. He had a real uh, standard that he lived up to as far as his acting goes. Well, you and, have to remember that the, the best film he ever did was Gremlins 2. <laughs> Actually, he did a great job in that yes, film. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yeah. And, and, and diseases. Pestulence. <laughs> Christopher Lee got sort of a career resurgence with uh, Tim Burton. Um, he did uh, uh, Corpse Bride. Mm-hmm. He, like, he... he he did five projects with Tim Burton. I mean, I think the first one he did was uh, Sleepy Hollow. I think that was the first one, and he was just—it was just a bit part. He was a judge. He was a judge, yeah, yeah. And and that that whole film was a homage to Hammer uh, sort of films, anyway. And that that sort of made him relevant again. Like this, this is a guy who was fucking relevant in his eighties and nineties to a modern audience, which is fucking unheard of for the most part for most people like uh can you think of any actors really other than maybe like ian mckellen and he's in his like what 70s 60s or 70s yeah yeah 60s i mean can you find for sherlock holmes yeah i mean can, can you think of any other really any other actors who managed to do that i yeah, mean the only the only like people that are alive no yeah. Vincent Price, yes. Yeah, but, Vincent like, Price. Yeah. People that are alive, no. Yeah, they're all dead. Yeah, yeah. it's like that, my that, today. I said, if we, if Ian McKellen goes, why don't we just kill ourselves? That's that's the sad thing. It's like uh, uh, Vincent Price is dead. Christopher Lee is dead. Peter Cushing is dead. Donald Pleasance is dead. Dead. Um, Carradine dead. David yeah. Carradine dead. 
Yeah, it's the uh, everything went downhill since Bruce Lee died too. So <laughs> it's it's the silver age of horror. It's it's really that post nineteen thirty one generation of horror actors that are they're they're all gone now. Like mm-hmm. he he was the last one really. Like I can't think of anyone else. I mean, you there might be some bit part actors somewhere who were part of a lot of those films, but you as get, far as big stars, like, you know, people that used to mingle with Corman, and mm-hmm. like that that you could c- consider pieces of a puzzle, like I know Jack Nicholson, mm-hmm. you know, in the you know Little Shop of Horrors, The Raven, things like that. But and that was nice; they got to to act, and Sig Haig got to act with. Lon Chaney and Jack Nicholson got the chance to have Boris yeah. Karloff and things like that that met these these iconic people. But as far as themselves holding a candle, not really. Yeah, Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, they were they were in a class above and beyond a lot of actors. I mean, it's it's no slight to other actors. It's just they're 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 from a generation that's really gone. It's really dead. Um, mm. And it's really, really fucking sad. of winter upon Orod Nathon. My voice went up and sang in the sky and now those lands lie under the wave 
and I walk in Amarona in Taurimorna in Aldalone in my own land in the country of Fangorn where the Years lie thicker than the leaves in I think I want to transition into just basically uh, what are your what are your favorite roles of uh, Christopher Lee? Like, uh, what are the ones that really stand out to you? Well, I like I like all the Dracula stuff. Unfortunately, a lot many people just know him as the Dracula guy. Yeah, um, I love his I love what he did in Howling too. That I love. <laughs> um, a film that I never really got into too much just because of lack of watching is The Wicker Man, but I still think he did a great job in that with what I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, he, like we said about uh, Gremlins, that was fun. Uh, but I like when he plays in uh, Nothing But the Night. He plays a little bit of an offbeat character where he's trying to figure out what the hell's going on the whole time. He's not mm-hmm. the bad guy. It's really nice to see Christopher Lee in the opposite side of the role. If if you're a follower of Christopher Lee, it, it's kind of weird. Like it's almost uh, jarring to see him as the good guy in a in yeah. a film. Take uh, a film like I know it as Raw Meat. Uh, I don't. I think it's also known as like uh, Deathline or something like that, where it's him and uh, Donald Pleasance. And it's uh, it's a British film where in the uh, actual British underground or whatever the subway train, uh, mm. there's cannibal. There's a there's a, like the last of a family of cannibals killing people and shit. Christopher Lee plays this MI five agent, and he's basically you know like he, he's not necessarily a bad guy, but he's sort of like opposed to uh, Donald Pleasant as a like police detective and shit. Really good role, really good film. I actually like him in Fu Manchu. As oh, Fu yeah, Manchu. Yeah, the revenge of Fu Manchu. Yeah, like, he, he did several films for the Fu Manchu thing. Some people, you know, the modern audience today might go, that's really offensive, that's really racist. Uh, yeah, that's shit. racist. A further warning to humanity. If the governments of all the nations do not accept my terms, in four days' time, I will bring desolation to mankind. The Castle of Fu Manchu. The signal isn't getting through. Strengthen the signal. No! 
eternal fight to dominate the world, Fu Manchu has discovered a new and horrifying weapon with which to demonstrate his power. Fu Manchu is only interested in destruction. Hmm. But what can we do to save Professor Hercules? I believe it's a question of saving the world, Dr. Kessler. Although the greatest, Nayland Smith is not the only enemy of Fu Manchu. <laughs> fights like a man. She is Omar Pasha's favorite. We must kill her. Take her away. For the most devilish part of his plan, the many arms of Fu Manchu reach out across continents to bring unwilling assistance to the castle of Fu Manchu. Bring forth the two prisoners. Christopher Lee is the dreaded Dr. Fu Manchu. Sai Chin as his sadistic daughter, Lin Tan. Marie Percy as his most vulnerable victim. Richard Green as Nayland Smith, his arch-enemy from Scotland Yard. I need Heracles to complete my plans. I need him alive, conscious, coherent. Therefore, you will operate. If I refuse, hmm? then Dr. Ingrid Koch will die an extremely painful death. Flood the tunnels! If disaster is to be avoided, I shall insist on complete cooperation. I shall give no further warning. In 14 days from now, I shall strike. Yeah, I also, I also just got done watching Murdered by Death, where Peter Sellers plays Hall oh, with a wang. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh. I mean... People, people watch that. Like I, I would direct those people to watch the fucking early fucking like Charlie Chan movies and stuff. You want to see really racist shit? See that yeah. shit. And but, uh, and he also played Rasputin too, which was really exactly great. Rasputin. That was one of his best roles. That was mm -hmm. so fucking good. The way he did that, just, just with the Fu Manchu, like it goes back to what I was talking about, where he looked different. He did not quite fit the uh, stereotypical British actor and leading man role. They just, you know, they did a little makeup job on him, make his eyes more squinty and stuff. But in the day, he had this weird look. He kind of fit in that sort of Fu yeah. Manchu role. Yeah. It was more believable to them because they didn't know anything else. Yeah. Oh, and uh, um, I do like him in uh, The Devil Rides Out. And it's kind of interesting to know that it was like when, when he, just like um, Vincent Price, like uh, everybody, when they started doing this, it was like the late to mid-50s mm -hmm. when these people started making films that were blowing the idea of what films were off the map. These were not normal everyday films. These were actual horror films where, yeah. you know, it's it's something that you need to have an appreciation of the film industry back then to understand, to get into it. You know what yeah. I mean? My kids watch Horror of Dracula about once a week. <laughs> so they like it. They think it's good. And it's and those, nice to see them appreciating something like that. Yeah, well, those are great films. I mean, it's not one of those things where you look at, like, say, the fucking Blob or something like that, where it's like, oh, everyone says this is a great film, but you watch it and it's like, it's boring as fuck. I personally, I, I, I this might be controversial. I, I think the, the original Blob is shit. I think it's a not, it's not an interesting Phoenixville, movie. Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, people. 
Phoenixville, yeah. Pennsylvania. I you, mean, you, I, Steve McQueen trying to act like a twelve-year-old. It's great. <laughs> Steve McQueen's first big role, and he was like like thirty at that 30 point. Thirty playing an eighteen-year-old or seventeen-year-old. Yeah. yeah. There's great effects in that film, but other mm-hmm. than that, the film's not that good. It's really not that good. Christopher Lee is fucking gold no matter what he does as far as the one thing I, I noticed too is the older he got the more he had the ability to show more like grandfather warmth in his characters too mm-hmm. he had that ability that he worked with just looking at some of his older releases that i might or newer releases that i might not have known about but i saw like charlie and the chocolate factory he plays mm-hmm. a great kind of uh, you know lost father in that one yeah then you know, that so I, I thought that was actually good, and I, I did the uh, did get a kick when my kids were watching it, and I heard his voice as the Jabberwocky from Alice in Wonderland. You know, I, yeah. I didn't see he apparently he was in Dark Shadows. I didn't actually watch that film. Yeah, and I haven't I, seen I, that I, yet either. I played a bit part in Burke and Hare. Uh, I Burke and Hare wasn't as good as I thought it would be, <laughs> but uh, it wasn't a bad movie, and he played a pretty uh, fun. Uh, he was the old guy they were suffocating with a pillow. So oh, I mean, really? yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen it rolling that. That was the uh, Simon Pegg. Yeah, the Simon uh, Pegg yeah. and uh, Andrew Sykes. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, I haven't seen that one yet. I, I saw the original Birkenhair from like 1972, mm. I think, maybe. Um, yeah, I haven't seen that one yet. Um, it's all right. It's it's not as good as I thought it would be, but it, it has its moments. There were there was one in the last couple of years that was really regret- regrettable, The Wicker Tree. Was, yeah. which was bad. It was bad. bad. Done by the same director who did The Wicker Man, mm-hmm. and it was supposed to be like some sort of like spiritual sequel to The Wicker Man. It was fucking terrible shit, and I'm actually kind of embarrassed for uh, Christopher Lee to have even starred in that one, uh, even as in, in his bit part. When you, when you consider The Wicker Man, which is actually kind of a... Almost an atypical performance for him. Like It, it wasn't the more stoic authoritarian performance for him is more sort of kind of flippant and uh, comical almost. And I, I think the Wicker Man, the original is a great fucking film. And the remake is horrible. Uh, the remake is horrible, but it's kind of also kind of funny in a way. Uh, get away from the bike. Get away from the bike. The bees. The, the bees, bees. The bees. The last film that I see he's noted for, the last two, I should say, is Angels in Notting Hill. Mm-hmm. He plays the boss, Mr. President, and uh, Extraordinary Tales, he does a voice part for that. So th- those are actually the the ending f- films that he plays uh, uh, mixed in with the, the girl from Nagasaki and the uh, Lord of the Rings kind of uh, films. So, yeah, I, I actually look forward to uh, seeing these ones. Let's see. I'm actually going to click on Extraordinary Tales here and just what the fuck that is. There used uh, to be a show in the, in the 90s called Amazing Tales, I think they were called. Animated anthology of five stories adapted from Edgar Allan Poe. Okay, I'm going to well, fucking watch That sounds right up my alley. I'm going to fucking watch that. Oh, shit. If you actually click on that, look who they got for the voices. Uh, uh, sounds like it's like a... Um, Roger Corman. Christopher yeah. Lee. Sounds like it's like a... Um, Edgar Allan Poe stories uh, mm-hmm. narrated or whatever. Mm-hmm. Fuck yeah. R- Roger Corman, Guillermo del Toro, Christopher Lee, Julian Sands. Fuck yeah, I'll, I'll fucking Julian watch that. Julian Sands from the Witchboard or whatever. It was. <laughs> uh, Warlock. Sort of, Warlock. Warlock. Yeah, Warlock. Yeah, Julian yeah. Sands. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, I'll fucking watch and that. And the medallion with Jackie Chan. <laughs> 
Angels in Notting Hill. I gotta see what the fuck this is. Something Miracles something. happen in your mind. Angels and man and angel and man. Death calls of an experienced young angel. Uh, I'll like watch it. Too. I'll watch it, but uh, <laughs> it's prophecy doesn't sound very good. Watch the prophecy too, and think Christopher Walken is Christopher Lee, and you'll be happier probably. <laughs> Other than that, I mean, unfortunately, I don't know how to describe it other than a giant oak tree that's been slowly hacked away over time. The more and more of these guys fall, Christopher Lee was the last swing. That class is gone now. I mean, we have a history of uh, a lineage of, of, of film history and things for us to appreciate and grow and, and get inspiration from. But the actual body of the actors literally are are gone now. It, it, it's possible that we might see some actors that eventually will be as great as he is. Um, mm-hmm. Honestly, I'm not all that optimistic about it. Uh, but yeah, he, he really is the last of an era and it's really, really fucking sad that he's gone. But at the same time that he was 93, yeah. uh, <laughs> what, what the fuck more could he ask for from the guy? Well, he also played with man of war. So Rasp, Rhapsody on Fire <laughs> and Man of War. And, and you can't get more epic than Man of War and Christopher Lee put together. Yeah, and, yeah. and this, is, this is an actor who spoke to several generations. Like, he was not just some old-time actor from the 50s that everyone forgot about or shit. Like, he was a guy who was relevant up till his death. Like I said on uh, my little Facebook message about him, he's a fucking play button away on my DVDs. Like, yeah, you can always see him. Yeah, you can always see the guy, and I think everyone's going to see him for years to come. Rest in peace, dude. Going to miss him, but I'm glad I have so many movies of his. And and there's so many more out there we didn't get yet. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks very much, Paul, for uh, talking with me about this and. So uh, thanks very much, guys, for listening. Uh, Paul, uh, you want to tell the listeners where they can find you? Yep, you can go on uh, YouTube, one word, PA Brew News, for beer reviews, and now they get a little horror updates. And uh, on YouTube, you can go to Funeral Death 666 for some underground black metal from Pennsylvania, all that good stuff. Other than that, that's it. All right, great. All right, thanks, guys, for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you again later here. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For our other episodes, links to Daniel, Paul, and Lee's other stuff, and links to some great podcasts of similar interest, visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. There you can leave us comments on the site or directly email us. We listen and respond to everything. Thank you. Drive through.